Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Thank you, guys. Those of you who are here in the house, thank you guys so much for being here. Thank you for those of you who are uh, out on the backstage patio, if there's anyone there. We're glad that you're here, and uh, we want to thank you guys for joining um, in online. And I just want to say to you, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope and I pray that you have a great week um, with family and friends and, uh, of course, a lot of food. Uh, And my prayer is, is that you would focus on the amazing things that we have to be thankful for. Uh, and we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? We have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm uh, glad that you're here today because it's week three of our series uh, that we have entitled Hope Has a Name. And so we've uh, been in this series for two weeks now. We're here uh, on our final week, and we are going to be focused on uh, hope for heaven, hope for heaven. And uh, that's our topic today. That's our subject today. These past uh, few weeks, if you've missed it, I want to encourage you to go back and and watch it and uh, maybe listen to it, be a part of it. Uh, I believe that God may have something for you uh, in what he is doing here in our church and in our community. I'm very excited about that. So I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. Two weeks ago, we talked about having hope in the moment. And there have been many moments over the last two years, I think if we're all really honest, uh, we had times where we probably lost hope. Uh, And so we talked about that two weeks ago. Last week, we talked about having hope for the journey of life and having hope for the journey of life. And today, we're talking about the long game. We're talking about the marathon. We're talking about hope for heaven, hope for heaven. So I want to begin today by asking you a question, and some of you may want to write this down. Some of you may want to answer the question. Some of you may want to think about it. I want you to put in your mind what you think of when you hear the word hope. What do you think of? What automatically comes to your mind when you think of the word hope? What comes to your mind when you think of that word hope? I think there's a lot of things that we in our world in today's day and age that we may make up in our mind that like we think of when we think of that word hope. And today I want to talk about it because we really haven't, you know, we haven't taken a deep dive into the word hope and what it means in the Bible compared to what it may mean uh, today in our day and age. And hope is a beautiful, beautiful word. It's used in all cultures in some form or fashion by people all over the world. And it represents, I think, in our day and age, the possibility of a positive outcome, maybe a beacon of light in the darkness, And so I want to talk about hope defined, because in today's definition of hope, when you look at modern definitions of hope, it's really interesting. Almost every time you see the word feeling come up in the definition of hope. You see that word today, in today's day and age, you see the word feeling come up when you look at a definition of hope. Now, Merriam-Webster, an old definition of hope is uh, to cherish a desire with anticipation, to cherish a desire with anticipation, or to want something to happen or to be true. So there's an anticipation, there's a want, there's a desire in hope. And I think that today's definition of hope is expecting something to happen, but I want you to hear this. I think that today's definition of hope is wanting something to happen, but not being entirely sure that there is even the possibility of it happening. It's like I told my son last week, or two weeks ago, I said, uh, the Falcons have a chance to make the playoffs, my Atlanta Falcons. 
The reality is it's probably not going to happen, especially after the last two weeks. That was before they only scored three points in two games. And if you know the NFL, if you know football, that's disastrous. Okay, so anyway, so that's kind of how we think of hope today. It's a little bit more today in our culture, in our day and age. Hope is a little bit more like when we say, I wish this would happen. Are you with me? And we're in the time of year that like when we were all growing up and we were all excited about coming up with Christmas, you know, I remember at Thanksgiving hoping that like one of the relatives would bring the Christmas presents to Thanksgiving. Do you, do you ever have that? Like there'd be some like crazy aunt or uncle that would bring the presents to, to Thanksgiving. You're like, sweet, we got Christmas twice this year. It's awesome. So it was always that wish that something might come true, Right. That's kind of the world that we live in, to cherish a desire with anticipation. And often the word hope in the English language is used in conjunction with uh, an adjective uh, or a description. And, and so we have things that we think of when we think of hope, right? You think of high hopes, right? I'm not going to sing the old song. Most of you wouldn't know it anyway, but high hopes, right? That's something that we think of when we think of the word hope, that we have high hopes, or maybe there's a slight hope or a glimmer of hope, right? We have a glimmer of hope, or maybe we have, uh, you know, we have false hope. That's what I had with the Falcons many times throughout my life as a Atlanta Falcons fan, but I have the Braves, and there was a glimmer of hope with the Braves, and the Braves won the World Series this year when nobody thought that they would. I had to say that, all right, because it's taken me two weeks to kind of realize that it was really true. So anyway, and then we say that sometimes we're clinging to hope. We're clinging to hope. That's a description. Or we might say that we want to keep hope alive or have renewed hope. And we usually have to give a description to define the word hope. Well, here's a really cool thing. The Bible's description, the Bible's definition of hope, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is a lot more specific, and get this, it's a lot more hopeful, because it's a lot more defined, it's a lot more concrete, it's not based as much in doubt. It's not based as nearly as much in this idea of, I wish that this would happen. It's based on the concrete fact and faith of what God is doing all throughout creation since the beginning of time. There's two words in the Old Testament and one in uh, the New Testament, so two in Hebrew and one in, in the Greek language that I just want to tell you about. The first one appears in the Old Testament about 48 times, and it literally means this. I want you to capture this. Now think about this in relation to what you might have written down or what you had thought of when we began. It's, it's a definition or it's a, it's a word that means to wait or to be patient. And it's most often associated with waiting on God. It's most often associated with waiting on God. And it may be waiting on His words, or His promises, or His actions, but it's usually talked about in the context of continually waiting and enduring with great promise that whatever it is that you're hoping for is going to happen. That's a lot more concrete than our definition where we talk about it as a wish or a feeling, right? 
Much more concrete. There's another word in the original language, uh, and, and it, uh, it comes from a, a root word which means cord. And there's a feeling of tension or expectation uh, while waiting for something to happen, like pulling on a cord to produce a state of tension. And the meaning implies a great expectation and anticipation that something is going to happen. Back in Island Kids, uh, over the course of the next, uh, the next month, they're going to be focused on Advent. And of course, we are entering the Advent season. In fact, next Sunday is the first Sunday in, in Advent here in uh, 2021. And I got to tell you that I'm so glad that they're focused on the Advent because the word Advent is a word that means arrival or awaiting. And so we as Christ followers, we celebrate at Christmas time the fact that God's people were waiting for his first coming. And I'm going to talk about that in just a few moments here. But we also are awaiting his second arrival, his second coming. And I'm going to talk about that as well. And so there's, there's a lot to be said about the Old Testament definitions of the word hope. And in fact, in the second one, it's often accompanied by joy and pleasure. And it's always related to God. Isn't that cool? So that there's joy and pleasure when we hope while we're waiting. Do you have joy and pleasure while you're waiting? Do you have joy and pleasure when you're hoping for something? I'm going to tell you right out of the gates, I do not. I I would rather know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'd rather know it good or bad, and I'd rather know the outcome in advance. And that's exactly why God doesn't give us a picture, because I might change my attitude towards God about the future if I knew it was going to happen, and you would too. We think it's going to help us, maybe knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. But sometimes it actually works against us if we know the outcome, if we know all the details. And so God wants us to wait with great joy, standing strong in his promises, standing strong in his promises. In the New Testament, we find the word for hope all throughout. It appears over 50 times in the New Testament. I talked about it a few weeks ago when we talked about faith, or a few months back when we talked about faith, hope, and love. Um, it's a word that comes from the word elpis, which is a word that's uh, in 50 times in the New Testament. And it's used in conjunction with this anticipation of future events that are certain, I want you to hear that, future events that are certain to come pass. We don't know when they're going to happen. We don't know exactly all the details of how they're going to happen, but we know with certainty that it is going to happen. And it is also accompanied by joy and pleasure. And it's always used. I want you to capture this. The word hope in the New Testament used over 50 times, is always used in relation to Jesus. And when we say hope has a name, I want you to know that that name is Jesus. That is where our hope comes from. That's where our hope comes from. And so hope in the Bible is not a mere wish. It's not this idea of of maybe hoping that something will come true, but absolutely knowing there's doubt that it will come true. In fact, on the contrary, it's confidently and expectantly awaiting for God's truth to be revealed about future events. John Piper said that Christian hope 
is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised that it will come to pass. Hope is confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised that it will comes it will come to pass. Now hope also has a connection with faith. In fact, the, its foundation is faith. See, we can't have hope without faith, am I right? We can't have hope in, in God's promises without the faith that he is going to provide, that he is, that his words are true, that the story of God's redemption you know, began at the beginning of time and continued through the Old Testament and continued through the New Testament and will continue into the future. And so there's an element of faith. They're complementary. Faith is grounded in the reality of the past. Hope is looking to the reality of the future. And without faith, there's no hope. And without hope, there's no faith. And so church, today, I want to stir you up. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, I want to stir you up to think through a different lens about the idea of having a hope for heaven. I want you to think differently. I want, to, I want you to take the old glasses off because what happens sometimes is, you know, I've got these glasses here. These are readers because I'm old now. And so they're all scratched up and I can barely see through them. They work, but they're a mess. And sometimes I need to take these off and I need to like go buy another pair. Sometimes we need a different lens with, to, to which to look through. And I want to challenge you, Christ followers who are here today, to have a different lens in terms of our hope for heaven. I want you to think kingdom. I want you to think about the whole long game, the marathon, not just the sprint when it comes to us having a hope for heaven. Because here's the thing, and I'm talking to Christ followers right now, whether you're listening or watching or wherever you are, whether you're in here, Here's the thing. They're Christ followers. We're not immune to losing hope. Are we? We're not, are we? I just want, to, I just want you to be honest this morning. Um, even, even Christ followers, maybe even you have lost some hope through the years. I know over the last two years, man, there have been many times, I talked about this two weeks ago, there have been many times when, when I got down about our world and what we were facing. And I know I'm not the only one. And I'm certain I'm not the only one in here or, or the only one who's listening has lost hope. But here's the thing. If we don't think kingdom view, if we don't have a kingdom mindset to the hope of heaven, we can be just like anyone and we can lose hope too. So let's change our lens. Let's look at it differently. Let's look at it expecting the future, expecting that God is going to provide even though our circumstances may be so incredibly dark. Knowing the story, knowing the end doesn't always, always produce the outcome of certainty, but it can certainly help produce the outcome that God's promises are true and that he is faithful to his word. I was talking with Andy Reed over here, Stephanie's husband. You guys hear Stephanie week in and week out, and Andy's a good friend I've known for a long time, and he came up to me last Sunday, and he said, man, I, I got a great illustration as to why I worry sometimes, even though I have hope. And man, I connected with this, Andy. This is a great illustration. I asked if I could use it because I've done the same thing. He's a Tennessee fan, so pray for him. 
pray for him. He's a University of Tennessee fan. We got the Tennessee fan section over here to my right because Justin's right in front of him. Anyway, uh, I won't talk about last week's game. Anyway, uh, that, you know, sometimes when you're, you're, Andy and I have something in common that we are, we love golf and we love uh, sports, and so uh, we we watched you know different things. And so what he said to me, and I I totally get this, and some of you may too, whether it's about sports or something else. He said I get so frustrated when I'm watching the game, and I can understand that. Okay, all right, I can understand that when I'm watching the game that. I've gotten to the point where I record it, right? I just record it, and, and I look at the scores, and I can be frustrated in the moment, and it's there and gone. And then I can go back later, and I can watch it. But he said, the weird thing is, he said, the weird thing is, is even as I'm watching the game that I know what the result was, I still get frustrated, and I still get worried, and I still get upset, because why in the world would they call that play? Why in the world would they do this? And even when my team wins... I still get frustrated. You had that experience before? Maybe you watch a movie, you know the outcome, read a book, and there's tension, there's the, the buildup and the tension, and then the, the, the resolution to whatever movie or story it is, or a game, a football game, a sports, sports event, and you know the end game, and you still get worried. Listen, listen, I want you to hear that that is natural, and it's human, and it's going to happen, and it's even going to happen to those of you who are Christ followers, even if you know the end game. There are going to be moments of, of worry, frustration, irritation, about the things of life. But man, knowing the big picture, knowing the whole kingdom story, knowing the whole kingdom work helps us. It helps us to have a different perspective about those moments when we're worried, when we're scared for the future. And those of you who are listening or watching or here today and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, my hope is, is that what we look at here over the next few minutes, the rest of our time together, that it would give you the answer for eternity. It would give you the answer for eternity. I love this phrase that I've often heard used already, but not yet, when it comes to the kingdom of God. I want you to think about that for a moment. Already, but not yet. Because here's the thing, Christ follower, there are good things that are happening right now. Sometimes we miss them. The last two years, we missed a lot of them. They were hard to find. Admittedly, they were, you know, they were, they were very difficult to find. They were hidden, and we had to search to find the good things that God is doing. But there are good things that are happening now in his kingdom, but there are better things to come. And there's this idea in the church world of Christ followers understanding that God's kingdom is already at hand, but has not yet come. That it's both and. It's already and not yet. Already, but not yet. And there's a sense in which God's kingdom is already at force. And I want to talk about the already. And I want you to take hope from God's word when it comes to already. Because God's kingdom is already at hand. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, we are God's children. And what's that next word? Say it with me. We are God's children now. And what... We, and, and what we will be has not yet appeared. 
You get the tension right there, right out of the gates in 1 John 3, 2. Behold, we're God's children now, and we will be, what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. This idea of already but not yet, and we have the already in the first coming of Jesus. We're going to dive into a message series starting next Sunday about Jesus and expectations that people had when he arrived and maybe expectations that we have about the Christmas season and about what God is doing and how sometimes the reality is much different. But I got to tell you that when God sent his son to this earth, the kingdom of God was at hand. It has already come in many respects. John 3, you know John 3.16, don't you? Even if you haven't been in church in decades, you probably know John 3.16, but we often forget about the verse that comes right before John 3.16 and the one that comes right after it, because I think it tells the whole story of salvation. It's the full gospel. John 3.16, through 17. See what I did there? I even said it wrong, right? John 3.15 through 17, that whoever believes in him may have, what's that next two words? Eternal life. Whoever believes in him, there's the faith part of hope. There's that faith connection, that joining in, hope and faith connected. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And then verse 17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be, what's that next word? Saved through Him. And see, here's the thing. The kingdom of God is at hand already. It, it is already here because Jesus came. He died that brutal death on the cross. He rose again three days later. And those of you who have put your faith, who have believed in him, like John uh, 3, 15 through 17 says, once you've done that, you have entered into eternity. That's why we call it being born again. You're born again. You're born into an, a new life, into eternity. And, and I want you to picture this because this radically changed my, my whole scope of salvation and, and heaven and, and the kingdom is, is that like when you put your faith in Jesus, you take your first step into eternity. Christ follower, let that sink in. Let that sink in. You've entered into your eternity at that moment that you put your faith in him. And there should be hope for those of you who are already believers that you are walking in him and you're walking with him. 1 John 5, 13 and 14 says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You've entered into eternity. You've entered into eternity. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. You see, there was a date that you were born. And I got bad news for you. There's a date that you will die. 
we have both of those things in common, right? But the thing for those of you who put your faith in Jesus is that your eternal birth date might be today. It might have been years ago. It might have been a few weeks ago. We had someone on Wednesday night accept Jesus Christ as as their personal Savior in one of our groups. Uh, Her birth date was this past Wednesday, and that's awesome. And the angels are rejoicing, having a party, it says. The Bible tells us in heaven. And her eternal birth date was last Wednesday. But here's the thing. When we enter into eternity, that means we do not have a death date. And in so many ways... You and I, those of us who are Christ followers, we are living in this already of God's kingdom. The already of God's kingdom. And we have the great privilege of being in Christ and Christ being in us. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 19. Paul is just talking, he's just kind of throwing down some truth with the church in Corinth. Don't we need some truth sometimes, church? Uh, we, we need some truth sometimes, don't we? And he is telling them all they have in Christ. And he says this in 1 Corinthians. He wrote this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, we are in Christ. So we can't just think of this life of now until our death date as as like the thing that we obsess about with hope. Otherwise, it's endless. We'll never be satisfied. That's what he's saying. We should be pitied if all we talk about is having the next thing or the bigger house or the greater car. And look, I I like all of those things too. Don't get me wrong. But the thing is, is if we place our hope in those things, we are missing it. That's what Paul says. You're to be pitied. I mean, he wasn't exactly gentle there, was he? (laughs) We're in Christ. But Christ is also in us. The same Paul is writing this other letter in Colossians 1, 27. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And there's this concept that not only have we stepped into eternity when we accept Christ as our Savior, and that should bring us great hope, but there's also hope that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. That's the great inheritance that we have. And so church, I want you to hear that there's a hope in the already that the kingdom of God is already at hand. There was a period of time in my life, and I still don't understand everything about it, but there was a period of time in my life that I didn't quite understand all of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. And he taught a lot about the kingdom of God. And essentially, I think what he's asking us to do is to expand our vision, to take the old lens off, and to look at it in a new way that we're already here, but there's also the not yet. It's the second part of the story. It's the second part of the story, the second coming of Jesus. That's the not yet. That there's one day that we're going to be in heaven, and if we happen to live long enough, we don't die, and Jesus comes again, that we're also going to be in heaven. Paul also writes the church to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. He says this, I love this. I love this, and I would say that This first phrase is for those of you who haven't put your faith in Jesus yet. 
He says, we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about those, here's the second phrase that applies to all of us, those to, uh, who are asleep, those who have already passed on, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Listen, I want you to hear this. Um, this is why Christ followers, this is why we have celebration of life rather than a funeral, right? You get me? This is why we celebrate life. It's not a memorial, it's not a funeral, it's a celebration of life because it's the celebration of the life that was born and then died, but it's also a celebration of the life that entered in to eternity with God. We don't have to grieve as others do with no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even though through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. He's given us a little indication of what's going to happen in the future. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. He's given us a bit of an indication of not the time frame of his second return, but the order of things to happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those who, who, have, uh, you know, who have died and, and who have accepted Christ as their Savior, they're going to rise first. And then we who are still here, if we're here, are, who are left, they, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, listen, I want you to capture this. And so we will always be with the Lord. We'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, the second coming of Jesus is the hope of believers that God is in control of all things. You've been worried about COVID? Me too. You've been worried about all, all the trouble that happened last year and the trouble that's happened this year and the violence and all the things that happened and all the things that happen in regards to the election and the aftermath and all of the things that we look around the world and we are depressed by, we're discouraged by. No one seems to be able to solve the simple things of life. Interest rates looming to jump up and inflation kind of on the future, right? Man, there's a lot to worry about, but I want you to see that when we are with Jesus, we will always be with him. So in those moments of trial, in those, in those seasons when, when things are discouraging all around us and no one seems to provide hope, know that there's a day coming that if you believe in Jesus as your Savior, if you put your faith and your trust in him, there's a day that's coming that you'll always be with him. There's a day coming that you'll enter in. You've already entered into eternity by that time you accepted him as your Savior. But the second coming of Christ, in that, he is going to return to fulfill the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And there's great hope for us of heaven when we look at it from the kingdom view standpoint. Seeing his first coming, Jesus arrived in the most humble of circumstances. But in his second coming, as you see here indicated in Thessalonians... Jesus is going to arrive with the host of armies of heaven at his side. And he's going to be the conquering king already, but not yet. Gives us great 
hope, church. He gives us great hope. 1 Peter 1.3 says it well, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He goes on to say, to an inheritance that is imperishable, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Church, what you're going through right now, the hopelessness that you may feel or sense or have, it's just for a little while. It's just for a little while. It's just for a moment because eternity is real. And God really did send his son to die for you. And for those of you who have that faith, you have a hope that can see you through the momentary trials. And for those of you who don't yet, Oh, man, my appeal to you, my challenge to you is to put your faith in him so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt with that kingdom mindset, you know where you're going to be in the end. I don't always like not knowing about tomorrow. I don't like ambiguity about tomorrow. I like to know what's going to happen. How many of you fit into that? category. You like to know. I don't like surprises, right? I mean, I like to surprise people, but I don't like surprises. God may not give us the full story, but he tells us the end game. And y'all, we can have hope in the fact that we know what the outcome is going to be. We know what the outcome is going to be. And I'm thankful. I'm so incredibly thankful that a day in my life when I was in, the second, in a second grade classroom in Stone Mountain, Georgia, of all places, that my teacher presented the gospel message. And as a second grader, I didn't understand it all. But you know what I understood? I understood death. <laughs> I understood that God loved me. And as a second grader, I put my faith in him. And that's not juvenile. It's not small. It's not elementary. So when I was about 15 or 16, when I was growing in my faith, so much of that became real. And wherever you are today with God, it can become real right now. It can become real today. And the hopelessness that you felt can turn into a hope when you look at the big picture of what God is doing. There is a hope For the moment, there's a hope for the journey of life. The greatest hope that we have is that we have a hope for heaven. We have a hope for eternity, no matter how bad it gets here while we're here. Father, I thank you so much that you have given us hope, that your word tells us the truth of the situation, that in this world, you told us, in this world, you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but you have overcome the world. 
And Father, I hear people talk about the end. I hear them talk about the, what's going to happen in the future. I hear them talk about what's going to happen today. And it's fear, 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 fear. It's always fear, even when they look to your word. And there is no reason that we have to fear. We can choose to walk in that fear. We can choose to walk in that hopelessness. But you said in your word in 1 Peter 5.10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore and confirm and strengthen and establish you. And Father, I pray for those Christ followers within the sound of my voice today. Maybe they've lost hope because they've looked around and they've seen that no one has the answer for COVID-19. We're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. No one has a permanent solution for the economy. No one has a, a solution for violence and anarchy and all the things that we see in our world that discourage us. And Father, there is, there is hope that we can put in the things of this world, but they're fleeting. When we put our hope in governments and kings and powers, it's fleeting. It's short term. We put our hope in a philosophy or a small R religion or a political party or a feeling that we think we're going to get from something that we engage in as our lifestyle. Now we're missing it. And Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with Christ followers who are listening, who are, who are watching, who are here today, and they may have become hopeless in their lives. Father, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would help them to take the old glasses off and to look at the kingdom view. There's a reason that we sang earlier. There's a reason we sang that this is what heaven sounds like. Because that moment when we ask you to be our Savior, when we put our faith in you, we entered into eternity. We entered into your kingdom. And God, we praise you and we thank you for that. And I pray that you would allow that to sink in and give believers hope today. And I, I can't talk about these things. And Holy Spirit, I feel like you're leading me right now to just say to those of you who walked into this place or happened to be listening or watching and you've never put your faith in Jesus or maybe you thought you did and maybe you thought you got this right maybe you've been disenfranchised by the church and by religious people I understand that I get that maybe you walked in here today skeptical maybe God's spirit is doing something right now in your life maybe you're, you're sensing that he is calling you to Him and to give your life to Him so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that eternity with Him is in your future. Father, I pray for those who haven't put their faith in you. And right now, I just, I just want to appeal to you today if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, if you've never placed your faith in Him for eternity, would you consider doing that now? Would you take up that free gift that he gave you by sending his son to die on the cross, to die, to rise again three days later? Would you reach out and receive that gift that he's offering you of eternity? I'll pray a prayer. You can pray it silently. I'll pray it out loud. And there's nothing magical about these words. 
What's important is the intent of your heart. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus for salvation, for eternity, forever, I want to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this prayer silently with me if it's the desire of your heart. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Thank you for rising again. And right now, I confess that I'm a sinner and my sin keeps me from you. And right now, I give my life to you and I put my faith and my trust in you, Jesus, to be my Savior. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer here this morning and you're in the room, I'm just going to ask you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask you to look up at me and just raise your hand. I won't call you down front or call you out. I just want to pray for you. So would you raise your hand? Just look at me and raise your hand. If you prayed that prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for these who have put their faith in you for eternity. God, I thank you for them making that choice, for making that decision. And Father, I pray for those who may have done that while they were listening or watching. And Father, I thank you that you have done all the work required for them to enter into their eternity. I pray that they would be grounded in you. They'd be grounded in your word. And Father, I pray that their faith would deepen as they continue to trust in you. Thank you, Father, for the hope that we have for all that you have done for us. And I pray this all in the strong, in the mighty, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.